0: Welcome to Why I Hate Your Podcast. These days, there are a lot of podcasts to choose from. This is another one. I'm Crystal, and each week my brother Sean and I meet up to talk about two podcasts and why we hate them or don't. Join us, and we might help you find your new favorite podcast or save you from wasting time on a podcast you might hate. So our first podcast today is called History on Fire. It's hosted by Danielle Bolelli. I could be pronouncing that wrong. This one is interesting because I had heard of this podcast before because Danielle Bolelli has actually been on a... Hardcore History Addendum episode, which is a, a sister podcast to Hardcore History that's done by Dan Carlin where well, he'll sometimes interview people. And he's had him on there before to discuss some specific event in history. So I was kind of interested in checking this out. The The thing about this podcast, though, is that it is currently it has moved as of April 2020 to Luminary, which is a podcast subscription service. So you have to pay a monthly fee in order to access any of their podcast material. They do have Two, I think, episodes of History on Fire you can listen to for free. And I did find in my podcast feed, so when I used my podcast app to search, I was able to find old episodes um, from like 2018. I don't think there was anything from 2019 on there. I could be wrong. There might have been one or two. But most of what I found was from 2018 and prior so the official description for this podcast is whether you like history or not, if you care about bravery, wisdom, passion, larger-than-life characters, and some of the most emotionally intense moments in human experience, you've come to the right place. Baleli shall be your guide in a journey to the place where history and epic collide. In the style of Hardcore History, this is a podcast hosted by a single individual where he has a script that he's written, and he goes through and discusses, after doing much research, he discusses whatever the specific topic is. For me, I listen to most of the Joan of Arc series I think I have one episode left but that is from 2018 it was pretty old I have some commentary on some of the the production quality which is probably specific to it being older but you listen to some of the episodes that are available like for free on Luminary to kind of preview it right
1: yeah, so I have issues with Luminary. With uh, Luminary, it's paywall, and I think it's like what four ninety nine a month, or maybe it's, it may even just be cheaper than maybe two ninety nine a month. So it looks like a lot of their content is locked behind a paywall, and I don't know if it's like it's behind a paywall for two weeks and then it's available for free. I, I looking at History on Fire, I don't believe that to be the case because it seems like after like you said after twenty nineteen, just there's no episodes available for free. So Luminary does give you two episodes. I looked through the list of episodes, and it seems like it forced you into choosing one specific episode. That it's like, this is the one free episode. It appears to be it was the latest episode at the time. And it was nothing I really had a lot of interest in listening to. So I was like, ugh. So I started listening to it. And I will say for my initial impression, there wasn't very many ads I could sense, uh, at least at the beginning. Unfortunately, I listened to two episodes, and I didn't finish the first one. The second one, I did. But the intro is really quick. I think the production's good. It's definitely, if you're familiar with Hardcore History, you'll be very familiar with the kind of the style on this. Although I will say his delivery is a lot different than Dan Carlin's, but it's also a lot the same because uh, he's he talks really slow. Really, really, really slow. <laughs> and it's not to add like dramatic effect because he doesn't really get super dramatic. I would say he's almost kind of monotonous in the way he delivers his script.
2: As human beings, we face a rather unique predicament. As far as we can tell, we are the only creature aware of its mortality. Animals are typically not inclined toward uh, getting lost in speculations. They spend no time pondering abstract issues beyond whatever reality dishes out to them in the present moment. Unlike most animals, who are fully immersed in their right ear right now, We are able to let our minds travel beyond the present, through the past, as well as the future. Well, we can say we are able to let our minds travel beyond the present, through the past and the future if we are glass-half-full kind of people. If we are more glass-half-empty kind of people, It really wouldn't be out of place to say that more than we are able to let our minds travel beyond the present, it would be true to say we are condemned to let our minds travel beyond the present. The fact that our minds are constantly busy redigesting past regrets, as Pearl Jam would put it, or anticipating future troubles. This means that we are also fairly unique in the animal kingdom in terms of the degree to which we are plagued by worries, depression, and anxiety.
1: And the production quality, and I only only listened to later episodes. I didn't listen to the earlier episodes, but the other episode where I listened the most it was episode fifty three, the punk rocker Greece about Diogenes. And he doesn't. He's not overly dramatic, and he has a very dry sense of humor. But. I couldn't get really excited about it, though. And maybe it's just because how slow he talked...
0: I wonder, and I wonder if the way he's talking slow is something to do with his, he has has a very thick Italian accent. And I'm wondering if he's talking slow to make sure that, uh, because I've known, and this could be a stereotype, but I've known some people who have Italian accents and typically they talk fast, but he may be intentionally slowing himself down to make sure that he's enunciating clearly and that everyone can understand his English because it is heavily accented. So I'll give him a little bit of leeway there in terms of the slow delivery, because I would imagine that's probably why he talks like that.
1: Yeah, that's that's entirely possible as well. But I will say that I do like that he has each episode kind of broken up because he, he has a lot of singular episodes, right? Like the one on Diogenes is it's a singular standalone episode, right? But again, like you said, you listened to Jonah Arc series, which I think I saw was like four or five episodes. Yeah, maybe. I think it's four episodes, right? But each episode is not super long. You're not getting a six hour no. episode. So like the one on Diogenes was like an hour and 45 minutes, right? And he could have probably broken that up into two. That would have been fine. But you know, that, that's a lot more easily digestible than something like hardcore history uh personally my opinion because there is kind of a mental thing when you see one episode that's six hours long you're like as opposed to you know five one hour episodes or something (laughs) so i didn't feel like i had a commitment listening to this like if i started because there were some other ones on there that i found that i may want to listen to in the future because uh they were covering some subjects i would find interesting the unfortunate thing though you only have the back like catalog unless you subscribe to Luminary.
0: And the back catalogue, so I don't know you said the Diogenes one that you listened to was from the back catalogue, right? That was on the old yeah. podcast feed. Okay. Yeah.
1: It was like one of the last ones before they went exclusively to Luminary.
0: Okay. Okay, so I had some beefs with the Joan of Arc series from 2018. I wouldn't put a ton of weight into these because I suspect that production quality has probably improved, especially now that he's on Luminary. But in the Joan of Arc series, while he has done a good job of having a good environment to record in, I mean, I know I record in kind of an echoey room, which is annoying, but um, he has made some attempt to prevent there from being echo, but... He does things like having his phone on his desk when he's recording, and then you can hear the vibrations when he gets a notification. <laughs> the music at the intro of the older episodes, which is one of my favorite pieces from Ennio Morricone, which is a great choice, it's almost the entire song. And it also sounds like it was recorded by like holding a phone up to the TV speakers or something. <laughs> so it's, it's really not a great recording of that music. And then the other complaint I had, which I would hope goes away if you're listening to him on Luminary. So if you subscribe on Luminary, my assumption is you don't get this, but there is fully 13 minutes of ad reading at the beginning of each episode that I listen to. 13 minutes of a little bit over an hour episode. So that was kind of ridiculous. Now I understand. and he And he seems to, even as he's starting to do the ad reads, he's like, I have to do this for things to be viable, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm thinking, you've got that many sponsors and he does he has a ton of them and you still had to push to luminary to make it viable to record i don't know how much it cost him to make this podcast but it must be a lot of money because (laughs) with that many because because my understanding and the way he published it on his website him moving to luminary was the only way to keep the show going and i'm thinking with that many sponsors how are you not keeping the show going so i don't know maybe he had a huge amount of downloads so he was having bandwidth issues i don't know i don't know what was behind his decision but in the episode you listened to now granted You were listening to it outside the paywall from Luminary, but was there ads on that episode when, you know, the Luminary episode?
1: Yes, yes, but it was very quick and it was kind of like a Luminary ad. It was kind of made me think of the, uh, what was it, Wondery, where they have a lot of their own- uh, ads for their own service. It, I, if I remember correctly on that one, it was a luminary ad, and that was it. And the intro was super short, and he got right into it. And it's possible the 13 minute ad read from older episodes. I mean, there, there is one thing I got to say, it's like, if you're going to have a bunch of ads, do get them all out of the way at once, right? So there's kind of a benefit to that. But still, it's kind of annoying that it's 13 minutes.
0: Yeah, and, and I do, I do understand that. I, and I like that approach versus having like, three or four mid-roll ad breaks. I think Lex Friedman does the same thing. And his podcast, I feel like the difference, though, is I didn't feel like his ad reads were extensively long. I think the reason it was 13 minutes of ads, it wasn't that there was 10 or 11 different sponsors. It was probably six or seven. But he spent a long, well, he talks (laughs) slow. And he spent a very long time talking about each one. And what I appreciate about Lex Friedman is he does a quick, here are the sponsors, with a quick, here's the four different sponsors and what they are. And then he says, you're going to pardon me now speak some about each of these sponsors. Here's the timestamp if you want to skip it, which is really nice because yes, you can fast forward in a podcast app, but it's like by 30 seconds or whatever your app allows you to do. And so you kind of have to keep going and check to see, okay, nope, still ads. Keep going. Keep going. Nope. Nope. Still ads. Okay. It's nice to have that timestamp piece, which I would recommend. And I think his delivery to your point is very monotone. Even when he's reading ads, it's very monotone.
1: Yeah. I think... Well, and, and personally for me, that was, it's almost kind of a distraction just how monotone his podcast was. You know, at least Dan Carlin, he, you know, he has pitch changes. He, he's just, he's really kind of engaged and dramatic. This guy is just slow, monotone. You know, it's almost like uh, the, the teacher from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, you know, Bueller, Bueller, <laughs> uh, Ben Stein, right? Yes. It's like him, but with a thick Italian accent.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and what's interesting is he tells you when something is supposed to be interesting or impressive or epic. There is a an episode in one of the Joan of Arc episodes. There's a moment where he's reading a letter that she wrote to, I guess it was the English commander of the that was just holding the city that she wanted to take. And he reads the letter. And then at the end of reading the letter, he goes, that is an epic thing to say. And he tells you that. He doesn't do it with his inflection, or I probably gave it more inflection than he did. He was just like, what a letter to write at that moment. But what's funny about it is he does have a sense of humor. Yeah. And it, it really is almost startling when he throws a joke in there. Because at one point he made a Princess Bride reference. He said something about Miracle Max. And again, his his sense of humor is very dry. And there's no Yes. There's nothing in his inflection that tells you that he just made a joke. So it almost takes a second to go, oh. That was a joke. (laughs) And it was it was actually funny what he said once you kind of go back and think about it. But his delivery is just so kind of even. And unlike I think somebody like Lex Friedman, who I could see somebody making the same complaint about his delivery being very monotone. There's still some more emotion behind it that I pick up on that I don't necessarily pick up with Balele here. So I can't really explain it why specifically it's it's more monotone to me. But yeah, I agree. I, I think it's. I understand trying to be dispassionate, but it feels really, really dispassionate.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think I think mainly it's because of his slow speech pattern. It increases the monotony of it, right? Which, like like you said, Lex Freeman, he could probably be considered monotone, but his sp- speech pattern isn't so slow and steady. Right. Because um, you can tell when he's stopped and he's thinking and stuff like that. This guy, of course, again, he's reading from a script. It, it's, it's just so slow monotonous. It's almost, it, it, to be honest... The writing was actually really good in the Diogenes episode um, because he kind of does this parallel of it wasn't just like a straight history of Diogenes, but it was more like how he is the father of punk rock in a way, like the the whole philosophy behind punk of like the 80s, Mm -hmm. uh, the 70s, you know, late 70s and 80s kind of shared the same kind of philosophical nature as Diogenes had 2000 years prior. And so there's like a little bit of mix of history between punk rock and Greek philosophy and so it was actually very interesting. And I, th- I found the episode to be informative. The, you know, the content was good. It's just his delivery I kind of struggled with. And, the, and like I said, his humor is very dry. But the kind of humor he throws in there doesn't lend itself well with dry humor or with a dry <laughs> delivery.
0: Yeah. I think. Yeah.
1: So again, it's it's kind of startling. Like, oh, that was a joke a minute after the fact. And it's not like, uh, like a micro type of dry humor right? Mm-hmm. Um. The, it's just the style of humor doesn't match the delivery that he gives it.
0: Yeah. And I, and I like that you pointed that out because I wanted to point that out as well, that the writing itself, so he is reading clearly from a script, but the script is really good. His pacing in terms of the story and the framework in which he tells the story. So for example, the with the Joan of Arc series, the very first episode, he doesn't really talk about Joan. Most of the first episode is spent talking about um, the context of the Hundred Years' War, And sort of how France had gotten to where it was and all sort of the key players that got them there at that point when she arrived. So... It was really actually very interesting and he made he made a couple of in fact the way he was telling the story it felt very game of thrones and he didn't mention that initially he did eventually i think when he was talking about the bastard of orleans he said and there's a reason we call him that and you know it sounds very game of thrones i think that was the first time he made the reference but all through the time i was listening to it just the way he's telling the story it had this kind of epic game of thrones feel in terms of how it was written so i will give him credit i think he's a very good writer I think he does a lot of research and he does a very good job putting the story together. But I almost feel like he would be better served by having someone else narrate it. Whereas he's the kind of the, the brains behind the research and putting together the story and the framework of it. Because again, I think it suffers a little bit from his delivery style.
1: No, and, and I agree with that. It, it makes me wonder if he actually has a book out. I probably should look at that because it would probably be an interesting book. Because to your point, the content is very well written. It's very interesting. The I think the pacing and how he reaches to certain parts of the subjects and you know how things come around and connect to one another is all done very well. But just the delivery is... It's, it's brutal. Um, but one of the points you had made earlier about the Joan of Arc series that you listened to was that the sound quality was kind of, or just the production quality alone, was kind of spotty-iffy. Um, I will say in the later episodes, I thought the production value, it sounded really good. Okay. There was no background noise. Uh, any music that was playing was nice and clear. You know, his voice was really clear. There wasn't weird volume issues or anything where it was too quiet or too loud. But I, I thought the production value was actually still pretty, really, really good.
0: Yeah, and I actually did just look it up real quick. He does have several books. I think most of them were initially published in Italy, but then he has one that was published in the U.S. in 2003 called On the Warrior's Path, and then he has a couple other books, 50 Things You're Not Supposed to Know, Religion, and then Not Afraid, On Fear, Heartbreak, Raising a Baby Girl, and Cage Fighting. Um, which I think is an autobiography. (laughs) So yeah, he's really into cage fighting and MMA and all that kind of stuff too, which is is interesting because when you hear him, he doesn't sound like the kind of person, but I think he is actually, yeah, he's trained in martial arts. He's multiple. So he's kind of into the MMA stuff himself. Oh, he's an eight degree black belt in Kung Fu. So- um, Oh, wow. Yeah. So, So the guy's way into MMA and stuff. I think he's been on, yeah, he has been on the Joe Rogan podcast before, I think a while back, so- he actually, he has said that History on Fire has, was inspired by hardcore history. So I think, I think he sort of took a book out of Dan Carlin's, or chapter out of Dan Carlin's book, which is this format of narrating history, but it does look like he has a background in writing. So I think that's probably why that's one of the best parts of his show is the actual writing itself.
1: Yeah, it, I, and I believe Dan Carlin has been on an episode. Yes. I, I don't know if it's like an interview or they're just doing something, you know, just a, a project together or not. I didn't listen to it. But I did notice that. I was like, well, I'm not surprised because it's de- like you said, it's definitely a chapter out of Dan Carlin's book. And one thing I found kind of interesting, the thumbnail, or I guess you the album art or whatever you want to call it for the uh for the podcast i mean the guy looks like a history teacher right yes yes <laughs> um, he does <laughs> but the, it's so funny though the picture in my and this was the first thing that went through my head was uh that michael douglas movie falling down yeah uh, i think it was called so you got this you know middle i don't even say he's middle-aged but just this white guy with a white shirt tie and he's holding a sword instead of course you know michael douglas is carrying a gun but, right right in that movie but it, for some reason i just got that vibe from that <laughs> this dorky like History teacher carrying a sword.
0: And and his intro on the older episodes features, I guess it was the intro somebody gave him when he was doing a talk, some sort of TED Talk thing or speaking somewhere. And it was just kind of this flattering introduction of him. So he took that and used it for the intro on the podcast, which I thought was an interesting choice, because it would be weird for him to come out and say that. But since it's someone else saying it, I think he, he slapped it on the front of his podcast as a, by way of introduction. So uh, I thought that was kind of funny. But If you like history, you can probably find something to like in his back catalog or something to enjoy. I mean, I think his Joan of Arc series is super in-depth. I've never read anything on Joan of Arc. I mean, I know the story. I've heard the story in multiple forms, but I've never actually read a book specifically about Joan of Arc. So I didn't have all the context. I didn't have all the details. And he did a very good job of presenting that in a way that was informative. I got the information. Again, it's really just more his delivery that's the problem. I think the content itself is really good. So I think if you can get over the challenges of kind of his slow delivery and his sort of flat, again, kind of monotone way of delivering it, you're you're definitely going to learn a lot. And the pacing and the storytelling is very good. So there's definitely positives there, but I feel like there's probably better options. I mean, I would, I would prefer Hardcore History myself, even though this one's more digestible in terms of episode length. I, I prefer Dan Carlin's style a lot more.
1: From a technical, from a pure, like, technical look at it, it it's not a bad podcast mm-hmm. i mean yeah th- there's some complaints you know had we, uh, we had about the structure which it seems like in the newer episodes is not really there cuz like i said the one i listened to the ads there wasn't a lot and the intro is quick from a technical standpoint and objective standpoint it's not a bad podcast but it just depends on how you can able you're able to handle the delivery i think that's its biggest sticking point for me personally which to be honest was kind of the same way with Dan Carlin I didn't really enjoy the delivery either so but even though the content was fairly good so I think this is gonna be one of those podcasts where I think your mileage is gonna vary depending on who's listening on it
0: The reason I brought up some of the criticisms I had of his old episodes is I think there's two ways to approach if you're going to listen to this. If you're going to listen to, if you're, if you want free podcasts and you're not going to subscribe to Luminary, then the only thing you've got is his back catalog. So you're going to have to deal with things like these super long ad reads at the beginning, some of the technical things that are not so great. But if you're going to subscribe or you have subscribed to Luminary, I think a lot of those problems get solved. And really at that point, the only hurdle is, which is completely subjective, as you said, is, is his delivery style. If you like it, I say definitely check it out. But if you don't like it, I would I would definitely listen to an episode before going out and subscribing to L- Luminary specifically for this podcast. You want to make sure you like it, like his delivery style before you go so far as to invest money in a, a subscription service. But if you already have a Luminary subscription, I think it's at least worth checking out to see if it vibes with you or not. As for me personally, I'm going to give a verdict of I hate it. Um, it's a little harsh. i I, I I was almost going to say I don't hate it, but I don't really like it. But I feel like that's a little bit wishy-washy. I'm, I'm probably not going to subscribe. Well, I'm definitely not going to subscribe. I'm definitely not going to sign up for Luminary. So I'm probably not going to listen to any more of his episodes. Because again, the older ones, production quality is not quite there. And a lot of the topics I would prefer to hear from somebody like Dan Carlin. So it's not my bread and butter. So I'm going to say I hate it. But again, your mileage may vary. I think it's at least worth checking out either via the free one that you can get on Luminary or one of his back catalogs to see if you like his style. And if you do, then from there, you can make the decision. Because I do think there's a lot of other quality there.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat where it's like I feel guilty for saying oh. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> because it, it is it's a good. The content is actually good. It's just I the delivery style is just something I, I have a hard time getting over. And that's completely subjective. I mean, again, we're doing a podcast review right it's all subjective right so is it worth subscribing to luminary no am i going to listen to it again probably not so i hate to say it but i probably do hate it um (laughs) but and the thing is it's like luminary it does look like luminary has a lot of podcasts i kind of scrolled through them all and i i didn't really see anything that immediately caught my attention but i like kind of like you suggest if you already have luminary go ahead and check them out I, but I definitely don't think it's worth subscribing to Luminary just for this particular podcast.
0: And I will point out, I mean, Luminary, I haven't really explored Wondery's catalog. I did dig a little bit on Luminary and it does seem like, I mean, they chose this podcast, which was, I mean, this podcast is highly regarded. It, it When it came out in 2015, it like rose up the ranks on iTunes really rapidly. Um, I mean, he got some exposure through Joe Rogan and I think Dan Carlin, but he has a significant following enough that Luminary was interested. So I think there's definitely something to be said for there's a lot of people that like this a lot. And I would imagine that those folks probably like it enough to have subscribed to Luminary because you're right, the price is not bad. I think it's $4.99 a month. I mean, it's less than I spend on Patreon supporting like one of the many podcasts I support there. So if their library is really good, it might be worth the investment and then you'd have access to his to his newer podcasts, which are obviously produced a little better. So I'm um, not gonna dismiss it outright, but again, for me, as it currently stands as a non-Luminary subscriber, I hate it.
1: Well, and I will say that just because a podcast network wants exclusivity doesn't necessarily mean it's a good podcast uh, as we could tell from last podcast on the left, oh. That's it. <laughs> that's a good example. Exclusivity doesn't mean quality.
0: Well, speak for yourself there. I do like that one. But, yes. <laughs> Again, it's all subjective. All right. Up next, we have Sex with Emily. This podcast is, it's actually, it's weird. It's not exactly a podcast. It is a podcast. It's on a podcast feed, but it's actually a call-in radio show on Sirius XM. Now, I thought the podcast might be a mix of the call-in show plus some other stuff, but it From what I could tell, all the episodes I listened to were definitely from the call-in show for SiriusXM. So it's possible these are episodes where they've been trimmed down or there's some content you're missing because you're not listening to it on SiriusXM. I don't know. But it is produced by SiriusXM from that respect. I don't know if it's technically published on a network that if it's independent, if she gets to publish it on her own or if it's published via SiriusXM, I don't really know how that works. But basically, the conceit of the podcast is she is a doctor- And she shares her expertise on sex, relationships, kind of everything in between. She has a lot of bona fides around her experience as a sexual health doctor. She's written tons of articles for many different magazines. Everything from like Cosmo to... It's a long list. You can can check out her Wikipedia. She does a lot of media. I think she's also been on like morning news shows, that kind of thing. But this particular podcast is... On SiriusXM, and the concept is that she generally has a topic for that particular episode, and then at the end of the episode, there's a segment where you know people call in and they ask questions. I think generally related to the topic. That was my experience with the episodes I listened to. It's interesting. It's a format that's a little unique for a podcast because it is like a radio show. There's there's call in, and she does have guests and things like that. But each episode is focused on a specific topic, and it has been around for quite a while, from what I can tell. And so I listened to a couple of episodes. One of which I didn't really enjoy and one of which I kind of enjoyed. How many did you manage to get through? Because I think you struggled a little with this one.
1: So I was able to listen to two of them. Okay. I mean, obviously, this is, you know, she's a sexual therapist, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and she's doing the show, I think I went back, it's actually been like 15 years. She's got over a 1000 episodes. So it's gonna be almost impossible to go through a back catalog. But I will say... Considering that there's so much history behind it, when I was listening to those episodes, I didn't feel like I was missing out on the history, which tends to happen with these big podcasts, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that was kind of a refreshing thing about it. The first note that I actually found interesting was that she starts off with an ad before the actual introduction for the podcast, which I don't know if that's common or not, but I thought that for some reason that seemed kind of weird to me. Like it really starts off with a ad about condoms <laughs> before you even get into what that podcast even is. Or just saying, hey, this is Sex with Emily. Now here's an ad roll. No, there was an ad roll right at the start. And it was a self-read ad, too, so it wasn't like a car commercial or something. And there is multiple ad roll breaks. So it's kind of got this... We're going to talk about this one thing, ad break. Now we're going to talk about a new thing. So they used, the ones I list to, at least, the ad rolls were there just kind of break up the content. It's a sex therapy show, but it's really focused for women. I kind of looked through it. I didn't see anything that called out that there anything that was kind of male-centric. But again how many males are probably listening to this it's probably very very few and she seems like she's fairly competent like i said she's been in a lot of magazines and stuff and actually one of the episodes of call her daddy that we listened to she was actually one of the people that alexandria had on as a guest i didn't realize this until yeah i didn't realize that until i did a little bit of research on this emily chick and i was like oh okay This is the same person I've already heard from this person. So she seems to be pretty well educated. Uh, I think this is kind of where my how good that education is kind of ends because I don't I'm not a woman. So I can't really say if it's good advice, but it seemed like it's good advice. I mean, I don't know how you thought of it.
0: Yeah. So I think um, the thing that's interesting about this podcast versus the ones that we've listened to thus far that involve the topic of sex is that she handles it very maturely. There's none of the kind of call her daddy, you know, as much more or hey we're 20 something's talking about sex woohoo let's be crude and crazy you know it's not like that at all this is very it's it's not clinical I won't, I won't say it's cold or clinical because she is very much engaged with the people she's talking to and with the people that call in. Uh, she does seem to have a lot of empathy when people call in. She's clearly, I think she's probably a very good therapist. She's obviously a good listener. The way she interacts with people is very much like the very first thing I've noticed anytime somebody calls in, the very first thing she does after they ask their question is she thanks them and she makes a positive observation about them always so somebody calls in and says i think i am dating a narcissist blah 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 blah. i don't really know what to do etc cetera, et cetera. and she'll be like well first of all thank you for calling in and secondly it's so mature of you to be able to even recognize that you know she always leads that way so she's clearly a good therapist she knows what she's doing and she has a lot of empathy people don't really think of parents as like sexual beings even though they had to have sex to make the baby <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Being like um like engaging in that type of behavior, I guess, is looked down on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we don't look down on you. We celebrate you, Hannah. You're you are awesome. You've been with your husband, you know, for a few years. You have a young child and you're still sexually curious and you guys want to expand your sexual repertoire. I think this is amazing. We all support you in this in this mission. So I I feel like it's a much more mature version of of the kind of shows that we talk to. It's not there for shock value. As far as I can tell, I I didn't experience any of that. And it does seem to all be very sound, healthy advice. I only listened to, did I listen to three episodes? It might have been three. One of them was about narcissism. And she had a psychologist on who specializes in that. And it was about how do you know if you're in a relationship with a narcissist? What is that experience like? Uh, And it was really interesting. I I liked that one a lot. It was less about the sex, but more about kind of relationships and her podcast does kind of deal with both of those things maybe even equally which makes sense because if you've been on the show, on the air for 15 years doing this you're going to run out of topics at some point if you're focused on just sex or just relationships so i think that the conceit of the podcast is broad enough to keep her in business so to speak i think The thing about this particular podcast, and I always hesitate calling it a podcast because it is clearly a radio show first. So when you talk about the ads, for example, they're very much fitting those in after the fact based on how the show is formatted for radio. So and in SiriusXM, it's technically ad free, but they do have ad breaks where they talk about other SiriusXM stuff. And so that's where they're then inserting in the podcast, they're inserting her ad reads for, for products and sponsors and things like that. So it's, it's a secondary revenue stream to the actual radio show, uh, which isn't uncommon. I mean, you've got a lot of people who have YouTube live streams that also publish them as podcasts because they can get ad revenue, revenue that way. So it's certainly not uncharted territory here. This is a common way of marketing yourself across multiple different types of media. But I think for me, I think it all depends on the topic of the episode. I think if I was to go in to listen to this, and I did this when I picked it out, right? It was pick topics that are either interesting to you relevant to you because the other episode I listened to and I don't remember yeah it was something it was about anal sex you know it was just (laughs) I I realized as I was listening to it I'm like this really isn't for me this is for very young people who are just sort of exploring their sexuality and and she did have she has had men call in young men in this episode in particular Maybe it was the topic I don't know (laughs) I don't know how frequently she gets male callers but then she also had and then I listened to an episode that was about exploring or becoming more sexually creative in your relationship if you're kind of in a rut Or it was, no, it was what I wish I knew in my 20s now that I'm in my 40s, you know, that kind of thing. And so it was targeted to 20-somethings with the wisdom of somebody who's, well, A, a sex therapist and B, in her 40s and has a lot of experience under her belt if you target your and which you would need to because there's so many episodes right but if you target it to things where the topic is something that interests you or is relevant to you I think you can get some value here but for me it's not something it would be like oh I'm going to go out of my way every week to listen to every single episode as they drop because that would be a completely different experience
1: yeah it seems like kind of like you're saying because there are things that just purely the episodes that are purely about sex episodes about relationships but one of the episodes I listen to is more about being comfortable with your own body kind of episode so Mm -hmm. it's it's also just which wasn't really heavily focused on sex and, and it wasn't really heavily focused on relationships, even though they kind of touched on those things. So it's almost kind of like a psychology on just being a woman, you know, like what it's like being a woman in this world and how do we deal with it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think the range of topics they cover is pretty broad. But again, I, I feel that most of it, for at least from looking at the episodes list and the episodes I looked at, it seems like it's mostly aimed towards women. Mm hmm. Um, and I but I don't know if that's actually the conceit of the podcast saying this is a podcast for women or something. I, I don't know. And so that's why I kind of struggled with it, because they're talking about things that as a man, I don't have problems with, or I just don't understand or I couldn't really relate to anything. But mm-hmm. I, I her delivery, though, is really good. She's very good at this. It's got really got high, really high production value. It, it, you, I guess you would expect that, being that it's a radio show. Mm-hmm. In, in and in a lot of technical ways, it is a good podcast. It's, but it, it, it kind of goes back to the whole "call her daddy" thing, where I, I'm just not that audience, right? right. And I will say preface you know, or I want to say that this was suggested uh, podcast for us to listen to. We didn't pick this one.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've we've been mostly. I mean, we have, there's a few that we've picked, but uh, most of these have been suggestions. And this one, and I think it was suggested by a woman, if I remember correctly. So, but I think you're right. I I don't know if the... Audience has evolved over time because I think women tend to be, in general, more open about talking about sex, sexual health, talking about relationships. I think men traditionally aren't quite as comfortable with that. So I would imagine that a radio show of this nature, also hosted by a woman, would probably just naturally draw a more female audience. So from a demographic perspective, I think the nature of men and women sort of just defaulted this to having a large female audience, at which point the show probably shifted and or couldn't help but then be focused on what is our audience interested in. Well, our audience is 80% female, so obviously they're going to be interested in these things. So I, I do think it's that way on purpose or maybe as a result of the demographic that listens to it because being a radio show, they have a lot more information about uh, who's listening to their show and who their deme—you know what that demographic is. So I think it's safe to say that this, this really is more traditionally for women. I, I'm not saying that men can't gather things from this that are helpful. I think the relationship focused episodes so where she's talking about just relationship health, whether it's, you know, are you dating a narcissist? That falls into the relationship health category. You know, that wouldn't necessarily just be a man or a woman. Narcissistic behavior is present in both groups, right? So you could be a man dating a narcissistic man or dating a narcissistic woman, you know, it doesn't really matter. So I think those types of episodes are really kind of gender neutral, so to speak. But again, their audience is probably mostly women. So I think all of the callers who called in for that particular episode were women. And I think of all the episodes I listened to, only one guy called in. So I I think it's a fair assessment to say that's probably the significant part of their demographic is women. So if just statistically speaking, if you're a woman, you're probably going to like this more than if you're a man, uh, and you're probably going to get more value out of it. Not to say you won't if you're a man, because again, I think the episodes on relationships are valuable for anybody. Well, and the sex too. I mean, if you want to know about sex from a woman's perspective, that's probably a good source for some of that information. I, again, I I really think this one comes down to this isn't the type of podcast that you binge listen to. It's not the type of podcast that you, maybe you do, but most people don't religiously listen to this type of, of podcast every single time an episode drops. This to me feels more like one of those a la carte podcasts where you keep it in your subscription feed and just periodically check in and go, "Ooh, that sounds interesting. Let me listen to that one episode just because the, the range of topics is so broad. Like if she's talking about relationship advice for people who are in their 20s, it's not relevant for me. I'm not in my 20s. But if she's got an episode talking about relationship advice for somebody in their 40s, you know, who's been in a relationship for a very long time, well, I be I might be, okay, let me listen to that, see what they're talking about. If you approach it that way, it probably has value for just about anyone. And again, to your point, it, it is a very well-made podcast or, or radio show slash podcast. It's, it's highly produced. It, it clearly has a lot of A lot of money and production value behind it. So that's, it's a nice listen in terms of it from a technical
1: perspective. The one of the episodes I listened to, which uh, really talked about women being comfortable with their body, Mm -hmm. and it kind of dangerously went into this healthy at any size kind of narrative, which I mean, in my personally, I mean, I, I, I don't think that's true for either male or female. It was this woman kind of telling her story that Emily had on to kind of explain how she came to terms with her body right? Mm-hmm. Became comfortable with it. And one of the things she said, which Emily didn't really challenge her on this, but it just kind of rung out to me. The guest said that counting calories and working out, quote unquote, not a good relationship for my body. <laughs> and I was like, I would think as a sex therapist, you might go, well, let's take a step back here and talk about that. But she didn't really press her on that. And I was just kind of just out of all the things I listened to, you know, again, I'm not a woman. And I said, well, I guess that sounds like sound advice that was the only thing that kind of seemed really kind of weird to me and all that I don't know where she is in that whole debate because I mean people do have to be comfortable with their bodies and they have to feel good about being themselves that doesn't mean you can't want to also improve right and so I and so I don't know where she kind of sits on that because there is kind of this movement of a healthy at any size kind of thing that some people are on board with which I think is ultimately an unhealthy thing (laughs) but and again and this came comes back to my original point like I, I don't I don't know if the advice is good or not. And so it's hard for me to objectively kind of rate this podcast from a technical s- standpoint. Like you said, it's really well produced. Like it's got money behind it. it just it's a high quality podcast, but I'm going to rate it that I hate it because <laughs> it, and, the, and the frustrating thing is like Call Her Daddy, I couldn't hate that podcast, mm-hmm. uh, and, but I recognize it wasn't the, the, the audience for it. But this one. I still recognize I'm not the audience for it, but there's something about it I just couldn't get over. I, I, I couldn't find any value in it. So from a technical standpoint, it's a great podcast, but... I, I I just I hated it. <laughs> that's just all there is to it. <laughs>
0: well, again, our reviews are highly subjective, and just because you hate a podcast doesn't mean anybody else is going to hate a podcast. And clearly, this one, like you said, it's not it's not targeted to you. So I, I, that's interesting. I wish I'd listened to that episode because I think if the angle was you need to have a healthy relationship with your body from a sex perspective, even if you are you know overweight or you have body issues, right? Like so, so, I, I've known people who are champion cyclists who have huge thighs, right? They're just they're women. They bulk up in their thighs because they're champion cyclists. That's somebody who truly is. And, and I and I waffle a bit on the whole healthy at any size thing. It's not healthy at any size. It's more like you can be a little bit larger and not the cookie cutter. This is what an athlete looks like and still be physically active and very healthy. But at the same time, if you're 450 pounds and you've got high cholesterol and you're eating garbage, you're not healthy at that size. It's it's less to do about size. It's less to do. It's more to do with like your actual health. So I'd be interested if, what, if the context of the conversation was more around accepting what you look like in terms of being able... Able to feel sexually attractive or to, to be able to have a healthy sexual relationship with somebody despite your weight, that'd be a different conversation than just, it's okay to, to not care about you know what your weight is or, or your health at all in terms of, you know, just because I think I'm healthy, I am. And again, she's she's a sex therapist. So she probably, I'm going to guess, doesn't venture into other areas of medicine at all. I think st- a therapists are very careful about that. I wouldn't necessarily judge her for that. But again, I don't have a broad spectrum of terms of listening to her podcast we only listened to a couple of episodes so I don't know that necessarily she's always giving great advice or if she's potentially kind of playing it a little bit a little bit easy I guess in terms of not not tackling something or being confrontational with a guest so it's an interesting it's an interesting thing and, and it's an interesting debate that's going on so personally I think I'm going to say I don't hate it I don't really care for it I'm not probably not going to listen to it it's just it's not something I, I particularly care to make time for again, I think there can be some value there. I think you have to pick the topics that have value. I just, I think I would probably consume this kind of information in a different way. I don't think this podcast is really like the kind of thing I would I would gravitate to. I'd probably more lean on books or things like that. Just because the, the range is so wide, I might have to skip 20 episodes to get to one that, oh yes, that's a topic that interests me. And then a one hour episode with half of that being Collins probably isn't gonna be enough to give me all the information I want. So I'm gonna come down on... I hate it as well for me personally. I just, I'm not, I'm not going to listen to it really. So yeah, I think I'm going to land on, I feel real wishy-washy about this one, but I think I am going to land on I hate it.
1: Well, and one thing I wanted to point out, which I think and it just kind of, I just had an epiphany really. Call Her Daddy and this, they're, they're both very sex centric. And you had mentioned earlier, Call Her Daddy was more kind of the raunchy, Mm-hmm. Twenty-year-olds, woohoo, sex. Whereas this is more about sex therapy, education, that kind of thing. I think the reason is because I'm not, I'm not the audience member for either of them. But Call Her Daddy was entertaining. Uh, whereas this, it's mostly informational, and it's information I can't do anything with. Uh, well, that's not fair. It's information that doesn't pertain to me specifically and so and it lacks that entertainment value that call her daddy has and i think that's the reason why i kind of fall into the hate it realm as opposed to call her daddy where i said i didn't hate it so i think that's kind of me justifying my rating
0: (laughs) (laughs) no i think that's fair i think that's a good explanation of why the two ratings would differ so much so yeah, yeah i think that's fair have thoughts you want to share Send us an email at whyihateyourpodcast at gmail.com or visit our website at whyihateyourpodcast.com. You can also find us at Hate Your Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Our intro, transition, and outro music is by Kevin McLeod and licensed under Creative Commons. Please see the show notes for details.